Amen. Go ahead and be seated, and uh, we're going to begin a series called Unusual Generosity, and uh, the passage we're using is 1 John 2.2. This is from the Passion Translation. It says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, I like the Passion Translation because most of the older translations use the word propitiation, and I find that people don't have a clue what propitiation means. Shoot, I'm not even sure I have a clue what propitiation means. So uh, the Passion Translation comes at it that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. And so um, in this series, we're going to talk about our motive for giving and motive for generosity, our method for uh, unusual generosity, our mindset for unusual generosity, and then the miracle of unusual generosity. And um, I got to thinking about how to introduce um, this message, and um, I'm reminded of a time when uh, I was a youth, very young youth. I started working whenever I was like you know, less than 10. We worked in the strawberry fields, but then by the time I was 10, I shared a paper route with my brother. He was 12 and I was 10. And then I did that paper route. This was back in the day when you had paper boys to deliver papers. Now I think they throw them out of cars or something. Well, they don't even do that anymore. I guess now you look online. But uh, back in the day, when we had to go uphill to school both ways in the snow, it, it, no, uh, it, that, uh, uh, you know, we, we delivered paper, we'd, we'd sling those papers on us and we'd walk around with just, you know, really heavy weight, just a matter of carrying, uh, just uh, imagine yourself carrying 50 to 100 papers um, and then hauling them around on a wrong paper route. Well, that was our job. And so it was a good job. Uh, you could still do sports and, and do school activities with that job, but the Longview Daily News always wanted to increase its subscriptions, just like any other for-profit business does. So uh, they were trying to get us paper boys to sell subscriptions for them. They always had a gimmick. And uh, one day they came out with this gimmick, and the way they advertise that is they deliver it with the papers to us. So they deliver the papers to our doorstep, then we would sack them up in our uh, paper-carrying bag, and deliver them, and they had a, an advertisement on there. And the, the offer that they were making was this. If you sell uh, uh, paper subscriptions, we're going to give you increasing bonuses. Well, remember, I'm at this point probably 13 years old or so. And so I didn't have such a bright head on my shoulders at that time because... The deal they offered was that the first subscription that you sell, a new subscription, you're going to give you 25 cents. And I'm like, 25 cents? That's not worth the effort of me knocking on a single door. But the second subscription that you sell, we're going to give you 50 cents. And I remember thinking, well, that's still uh, a lot of work to try to get a new subscription for the money. The third one you sell, we're going to give you a dollar. And I'm still thinking, well, three subscriptions for a dollar, I get tipped 50 cents to a dollar when I collect. So what motive is there to try to sell three subscriptions? The fourth one you sell, we're going to give you $2. Well, it's starting to get interesting, but I'd need to sell four before I got there. Now, has anybody else seen where this is going? Yeah. 
I couldn't see it. The fifth one you sell, we're going to give you $4. Starting to get inspiring, but you're asking me to get to five new subscriptions. That's like, may as well be Mount Everest. You know what I'm saying? And then the sixth one, they just lined it all up. There's going to be $8. The seventh one, $16. The eighth one's going to be $32. The ninth one's going to be $64. And the tenth one's going to be $128. Now, $128, that's a month's income as a paper boy. So that sounded pretty darn good. But you're asking me, I mean, I got to get to 10 before I get that many. And I looked at that thing and pulled out the piece of paper, wadded it up, tossed it into the trash and delivered my papers. Praise the Lord. And what's crazy is that they did not put an end on this thing. They let it continue. So a friend of mine who also had a paper route either had a wiser head on his shoulders or his parents saw it for what it was. I think it was the latter. And they saw an opportunity of a lifetime. And so they coached their son Wow. And he went crazy and sold something like a hundred subscriptions. <laughs> now, I didn't find out about this until after the deal was up. And so I remember hearing, you sold a hundred subscriptions? Man, that's a go-getter. But I had no comprehension of what that meant. And I mean, they owed him a lot of money. More money than they ever intended to pay him. <laughs> so the Longview Daily News had to go into negotiations, not just with him, but with his mom and dad about why they were not going to pay that kind of money. But let me tell you what I was told. They negotiated and basically agreed to pay four years of college for him to get out of the deal. Come on now. Now, my little old head couldn't see it because all I could see was selling, you know, 10 subscriptions sounded like Malinepris to me, right? But I want you to see the correlation in Christianity. God has allowed this time to come when we've got a disease going through the world that spreads in the same way through exponential multiplication. And for those who can see it, Christianity spreads the same way. Anytime we're spreading by addition, we're falling short of the potential God gave us. The whole design is that Christianity would spread by exponential multiplication. All we have to do is replace the disease with the spread of the gospel. And we'll have it. And so um, this whole um, motive of, of, of um, unusual generosity, we are talking about finances. It can, you can say time, you can say efforts and energy, but really we're talking about finances. Exponential um, multiplication is what Jesus was referring to in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And what he's referring to is you've, if you've received Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, he is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. And that goes with that word that was just given before I preached, right? By the way, I've used that word, right? The word was, you know you've been caught. 
in your sin. And if you cover it, you won't prosper. But if you forsake it and expose it, you will find mercy. That's because Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for your sin. But not just for your sin. Who else's sin? The whole world. And so we've got a motive of exponential multiplication that inspires us to say, Jesus, His his sacrifice is good for the whole world, for everybody, red and yellow, black and white. Do they still sing that song in children's ministry? Yeah. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little world, children of the world. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I'm saying that it's exponential multiplication all over the world. And if we can get that right, the gospel will multiply faster than COVID will. And that is our motive to give generously, unusually generous. Now, for this message, what I want to do is take us through um, the letter of 1 John. There's the Gospel of John, and then there's the letter. There's three letters of John, same author. And we want to use the letter of, of John, 1 John, and look at his motive for making the sacrifices that he made. I like the Apostle John. He didn't have the flair of Peter, right? Um, he didn't have the writing skills of Matthew. You know, uh, he didn't have the leadership of James. But what he did have was the intimacy of Jesus. And he lived, according to church history, longer than everybody else did. All the other apostles did. They all died an earlier death, but he lived longer, got exiled on the island of Patmos for his um, ministry, for his walk with Jesus, and wrote the book of Revelation uh, from there to the seven churches around Ephesus. But in Little John, we read this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the first lesson we learn is that giving is about sharing our experience. The reason that we have unusual generosity is we want to share our experience. And I believe that um, when you have a genuine experience with Jesus... God makes a deposit of his DNA in you that makes you want to share it with other people. I'd go so far as to say that if you don't have that deposit of DNA in you that makes you want to share Jesus with other people, you probably have not been born again yet. Now, as a long-term Christian, it is possible to have that DNA deposited in you and then it be suppressed and oppressed and driven down. We understand that. But I'm saying that it is in the DNA of every Christian to say, man, I need what I have experienced to spread and to go out like wildfire. And the more, the merrier, the better, right? It's like God built it to replicate. So giving is about sharing our experience. And I believe this so much that I believe that Christianity that is built on other things than experience is 
an empty shell, like a hollow egg. Have you ever had one of those Easter eggs you give children, you know, the little plastic ones, and somebody forgot to put some candy in one of those or something? You know what I'm saying? They open it up and it's empty. What a bummer, you know what I'm saying? You guys ever do this with your kids where you do an Easter egg hunt, and then, um, uh, then after the hunt, to try to have more fun, you go put the empty eggs out there. I mean, it's just not that much fun anymore, right? I believe that Christianity that is built on anything other than an experience is an empty shell. And I believe this is also one of the reasons that God has allowed the current stuff that's going on, not only in our world, but in our nation, to really break down what we would call the institutional church so that he can rebuild it in a different way. And make no bones about it, he is breaking it down. But he also intends to rebuild it. And the foundation, so much of that, is he wants us to have experience after experience after experience so that our faith would not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Every single time I come to, in my daily reading, to Acts chapter 17, and I came there again, you should read Acts chapter 17 as Paul's worst failure in his ministry. Best sermon he ever preached, worst failure in his entire ministry. Acts 17 is the best sermon ever. And yet it was his worst failure. He came away from that sermon saying, I will never do that again. Why? Because after he preached his best sermon ever, they didn't have experiences up in Greece. They had arguments instead. So when he went to Corinth after that, he said, I determined never to do that again. I determined to know nothing. I determined to not have a good sermon. I determined to have a loser sermon. <laughs> Just so I could guarantee we build it on an experience with Jesus and his Holy Spirit. I haven't been that courageous yet to blatantly, intentionally sabotage a sermon yet, but I'm just saying, I, I, I prep mine, but, but Paul determined this. Um, we used to work in uh, Honduras, and um, the Surge Mission Project calls Pastor Alberto, our, the, our overseer in Honduras, the best church planter in the world. And he was discipled by a four-square missionary who originally went to Honduras knowing just a couple words in Spanish. All he knew was these words, Jesus saves, Jesus heals. That's, the guy didn't feel like he had enough time to learn any more Spanish than that. So he landed in Honduras, and now the four-square denomination is the largest denomination in Honduras because Jesus, the guy went there saying Jesus saves and Jesus heals. I'm assuming later on the guy learned enough Spanish to disciple people. But he built it on experiences. We go on in what John wrote. He said, this life was made manifest and we testify it to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. You see, Apostle John was saying, listen, I want this thing to grow. I want it to become more than an empty shell. I need the experience to multiply out. 
Anybody do um, an activity for Halloween? You guys do, uh, anybody take your kids trick-or-treating or, or, you know, some, some of you did. Did any, did any of you guys hand out candy? We tried, but not many people came to our door. And uh, I had a Halloween experience as a kid that I will remember for, you know, seems like the rest of my life. Because when I was a kid, Halloween was a big deal. That's because my mom did not believe in sugar in the house. <laughs> oh, yeah. We had no Fruit Loops. We had no, you know, Huckleberry Finn or whatever they were. You know, we had Raisin Bran. I mean, I, and, and, I mean uh, you know, and we had non-sugar. Mom would look at the, the ingredients, and if sugar was up towards the top, it's banned. So Halloween was our one opportunity to change all of that. So we went out and we had these buckets and we'd go out and we'd stay out until we got them full. And then we'd plan to eat that for six months. You know what I'm saying? You'd portion it out. And... Well, mom got tired of that. So she decided one year they've got too much candy. So she handed us a little bitty bowl. I mean, a regular bowl you'd eat soup in. And she said, whatever you can fit into that bowl is what you can keep. The rest of it we're going to throw away. So we took our bowls to our room, and we said, Lord, help us. Jesus, give us a word of wisdom right now. No, I wasn't saved yet. I didn't know that. I was just using my own creativity. And so, but God gave me a word of wisdom in my lost state. And what he showed me was, see all those lollipops? What you can do is you can build a wall around that bowl. And if you'll stack candy in the middle, it will hold the lollipops up. And you will extend the walls up. And praise the Lord, we doubled the size of that bowl with lollipop walls. And we carefully carried it out to Mom. Here's what I got, Mom. And she was so impressed with the creativity that she let us keep everything we got into those bowls with those lollipops. We didn't even like the lollipops, but they were walls for us. Praise the Lord. Isn't that something? You see, I believe that the motive is so important that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the whole world that we must find a way to keep on getting the gospel out. Now, the exciting thing about the Surge Mission Project is that COVID happened, and I mean, we had a couple of mission trips planning to, to go to Cuba, and they all got canceled. Why? Because Cuba stopped all flights in. Every time they schedule new ones, they cancel them again. And that's happened in many other parts of the world as well. But the cool thing about the Surge Mission Project is that they already got these guys in their countries. And they have creative ideas, and the result is it's still happening, even in the pandemic. Churches are being planted. People are being planted. People are being saved. I'm telling you, it's still happening because of the strategy that God gave them. Now, I'm going to give you a, a pastoral concern that I have. Has anybody else noticed that we're in crazy time? I mean... We're in crazy time. We've got a disease going on out there. We're in crazy time. We've got a, a presidential election that's like crazy. I mean, it's, it's just, we're in crazy time all across the board. And I believe that the Lord's been talking to me about it. And here's my fear, and I believe it's a healthy fear. I'm afraid 
that if the guy that I voted for attains the presidency, it will not advance the gospel of Jesus. I'm also afraid that if the guy I didn't vote for attained the presidency, it will not advance the gospel of Jesus. Is anybody else understanding what I'm saying here? God's going to, we're going to get a president. We hope we do. But the whole thing, including the pandemic and the presidency, has become a massive distraction to the core motive that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. It's a distraction. So I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, how do I get less distracted by all this mess? Because I just don't feel like one side winning and one side losing is going to help us get the gospel that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice to new people. Let's go on to the next verse. 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, notice he's still talking about, we experience Jesus with our five senses. Now, you can say, well, the Apostle John actually walked with a physical Jesus. Yes, but I'm here to tell you, the Holy Spirit, in getting people born again and healed and filled with the Spirit and all of these other things, giving you the gifts, will actually manifest himself to you in such a way that you will feel him. You will see the, the things of God. You will hear the things of God. I'm here to tell you, it is more than just a, a non-sensory spiritual experience. So he's saying, listen, that which we've seen, we've heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. So giving an unusual generosity is not just about sharing our experience, but it's about expanding our fellowship. Now, studies have shown, because we live in the megachurch age and whatnot, so it inspired people to study these things, that the average person can handle between 75 and 100 people, and that's who they have fellowship with. So if you think about that, if a church is 200, you can have fellowship with about half of them. If a church is 500, you can have fellowship with about a fifth of those people. And so, you know, megachurches will look at it and say, well, what we need to do is make sure people are fellowshipping with their hundred. But then it goes smaller than that. You can have intimacy with about, you know, five to ten people. And obviously, you're going to be most intimate with your spouse, right? But you can have intimacy with between five and ten people. I used to do a businessmen's luncheon, and the, the social dynamics of that have, have always been so interesting to me. You take a group of men, they're having a businessmen's luncheon, and if you have a group of five and they've gotten to know each other, they'll open up and share, and it's pretty relaxed and casual. But then what I noticed is if it's five men that have really gotten comfortable with it, you had a sixth and we're still okay. But then, if you had a seventh, we're a little bit less vulnerable. And by the time you reach ten, it's clam up. And it takes a lot of work to get a group of ten men to talk to each other, to open up anymore. That's a social dynamic. It's fellowship. But our fellowship 
is based in the person of Jesus Christ and then meant to expand to other people. But the motive that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the whole world inspires me to say, I don't just want fellowship with the hundred people that I have in church, nor the ten people or five people that I have in my house church. I want fellowship with people overseas, some of whom I may never see, but I'm spreading the fellowship. I want to expand. And that's what the Apostle John was doing. He was writing a letter, and a lot of people were going to read this that he never saw, but it expanded his fellowship. Now, the cool thing about the Apostle John, he's in heaven now, but he's still expanding his fellowship through the letter that he wrote and the sacrifice that he made. And he says, listen, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, in all of the things that are going on, it's made it harder. But I believe that God is making a way for those who will see it. Now, I still believe the small groups are key. The American church um, had gotten to where, you know, we just didn't emphasize small group Christianity. Matter of fact, it had gotten to where in your average church, if you could get 20% of your people in small groups, that was considered like a rah-rah, you know, shish kebab, big deal. I mean, it was, it was a, you know what I'm saying? But that kind of Christianity is so shallow because discipleship, and real fellowship often takes place in the small groups. And so there's a lot of inspiration to go back into the small groups as a core to our being. We must find a way because the motive says we must do this. I'm reminded of a time when um, I worked in, for the state of Missouri in Bolivar. And... Um, I, we had a supervisor that was very strict on separation of church and state, meaning don't bring your Jesus in here. And so, okay, which was kind of offensive. But I said, Lord, how am I going to reach my coworkers? So I prayed for them daily. Every single day I prayed for every one of my coworkers. And then as you pray for people, what you'll find is often the Holy Spirit will give you words for them. So there was this one girl that I found out, actually, her dad was the president of the home mission board of the Southern Baptist Convention. But she was an atheist. Like, so I prayed for her just like I prayed for everybody else. And the Holy Spirit started giving me words. Well, I didn't know how to break the social barrier. It was a little weird. So I just started delivering those words. And I'll never forget the day that I went into her cubicle. We got to know each other just a little bit. And you had to work together in, in the field I was in to get the job done. So relationships happened. So one day I went into there, and I just sat down in a cubicle, and I said, do you know what the definition of a son of God is? She looked at me and said, No. I said, those who follow the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That's all I got to say about that. See you later. <laughs> and I left. And I'd just go in occasionally and drop those kind of words. <laughs> and then one day, she came over to my cubicle and she said, okay, I need to, I got to change. Uh, it's killing me. And she said, I'm, I'm ready to give my life to, to God, but I don't know how to do it. See, she had so blocked out her dad and her mom and their, their faith 
She said, I don't know how to do it. And I told her how to get saved. And she followed through. And actually, she wasn't going to follow through. She avoided my advice. But God cornered her that night in the middle of the night. She had a radical salvation experience. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It inspires us to find a way to help you have the fellowship with the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ. Let's go on to the next verse. I like this next one. Verse 3. And we are writing these things so that... Now, you might get to, you know, reinterpreting this to say... We are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. And that is not what the Apostle John wrote. We are writing these things that our joy may be complete. Giving is not just about expanding our fellowship. It's about increasing our joy. Yes, our joy. Extreme generosity, unusual generosity for the sake of bringing more people into the kingdom of God is about increasing and completing our joy. The implication there is this, that God gives us joy when we receive Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Then God increases our joy when we get filled with the Holy Spirit. We're for that. Then God increases your joy some more when you experience discipleship and you start learning the Word and, and you start finding some nugget truths and, and then, and then our, our joy is increased more when we get answered prayers. All of those bring joy Joy, joy is designed at, or defined as an inward strength of God that can produce happiness. But it's joy of the Lord, a strength inside of us, but it's not complete until it expands the atoning sacrifice to others in the world. And that's really powerful once you see it. That word complete means full. What John is saying is, I've got so much joy. I walked with Jesus. I talked with Jesus. I got to lean on his bosom. I've had deep revelations. He had a catatonic revelation. And if you read the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, he had a catatonic one. I mean, what I'm saying is that means he, he, got, he went flat on his face, down on the ground, and couldn't move until the revelation of Jesus passed. He had all of that. But he said, my joy is not full yet. And it will never be full until until I add people that are experiencing the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And this inspires us into unusual generosity. Now, there's two ways that we can grow our joy with this model. It's either by giving or going, or both. Giving or going. That's it. Now, you can experience all those other forms, but why not go for the full meal deal? Do you guys, whenever you go to the, the fast food restaurant, do you order like just the burger or do you get the full meal deal? You need to repent and start getting the, who said that? <laughs> you need to repent and start getting the full meal deal. I mean, when I go to Wendy's, I don't just order the Baconator. Come on now. I look and see what form of, what is the newest form of Baconator fries they have with this thing. Because if I'm going to go to Wendy's, I'm going to get the full meal deal. And while I'm at it, since, you know, a lot of times I just go ahead and get their sugar lemonade. While I'm, I mean, I'm just saying, if I'm going, I may as well experience this thing. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
Moderation. Come on. There's all kinds of prophetic words coming out. <laughs> now, I didn't, used to, I didn't always understand this. Um, some years ago, I went to what was called a remnant conference. And um, at this conference, there was this um, preacher that was, was one of their keynote speakers. His name was Pastor Jack. He's from Australia. And uh, uh, he preached a barn burner. Have you ever heard a barn burner? I mean, he preached a barn burner. And I have not historically responded well to barn burners, meaning they don't inspire me to do very much. I'm not against them. I'm saying they haven't inspired me. So he preached a barn burner on giving to missions. And I remember him making this specific reference about the American church. Oh, yeah, you're paying off your buildings, but people are going to hell over here. Oh, yeah, you, got, you, you built a new building, but people are going to hell over here. I mean, he just really laid it, you know, just... And then Pastor Larry Stockstill, then what he did was, at the end of the message, he cried out, can we open this altar? And he went down there and cried at the altar for a while. And I sat in my seat, and my wife was with me. She'll testify. And I remember thinking to myself, when hell freezes over, I'll go down there. <laughs> Problem is, hell's not freezing over, right? But the Lord... He has a way into every single heart. So that barn burner didn't do it for me. But what did do it was in that conference, there was three presentations of the Surge Mission Project a strategy. Strategy. And I heard this strategy that for an average of $3,000, we can plant a church anywhere in the world because we are going and we are locating the apostolic figures in those nations. We're finding guys like Paulus Rwatno in Indonesia. Pandemic in Indonesia, 4,000 inhabited islands. So what? He's got radio stations with solar-powered radios that there is an average of one person coming to Christ every single minute through his radios. Then they go out and they gather them, give them two years of training, and plant a church in their island. So what? Pandemic? Ah, solar-powered radios. They figured it out. See? And so, so in, in, in the nation of Cuba, which we have supported in recent years as it opened, that pastor is, you know, they, they're doing it through thumb drives in the pandemic. Now, I could go on and on. The point is the strategy caused me to look at the situation and say, first time I heard it, I said, that's, there's no way that's too good to be true because I knew it cost 150, 250 just hundreds of thousand dollars to get an American mission over there, missionary over there, and to support them. You're taking $3,000 and planting these indigenous pastors through these apostolic figures? I said, it's too good to be true. Second presentation, I remember saying, if that's true, it's the future. Now, this is not a diss against the American way, because in the early days, we needed to do it. In other words, there was nobody. But Christianity has spread exponentially so fast for so many years now that the apostles are in the nations, is what I'm trying to say. They're already there. And they're doing the work. You just got to find them. And so second time the presentation was made, I said, if that is true, it's the future. The third time the presentation was made, I told my wife, when we get back, we're giving $10,000. Praise the Lord. We came back. We wrote a check for $10,000. We didn't ask anybody. We just did it. Why? 
Because Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the whole world. Not just my sins, but for the whole world. Let's go to verse 5. And this is the message that we have heard from Jesus and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So giving or unusual generosity is about leveraging the light that Jesus gave us. Jesus went so far as to say, if you will leverage this light, you'll become the light. That the light will go from Jesus to you. You will become the light. Then others will receive it from you and they will become the light. So that unusual generosity is about leveraging the light. I want to play this video. Um, and uh, this is just off the Surge uh, Mission Project's website, and it, and it shares the vision. Now, I believe that all missions are good. Anybody that's doing anything anywhere in the world for the cause of Jesus, Jesus said, if you go and spend $2,000 on an airplane ticket, and then you go and you take a youth group, so you've spent, you know, uh, 20 youth times 2,000, that's, you know, a lot of money. And what you do is when you get over there is that the first thing you do is shop for souvenirs. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And after you've been there for a week, the ministry that you pulled off was you gave one kid a cup of water. Jesus said, you'll not lose your reward for doing that. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? That's inefficient, but at least you gave the cup of cold water to a kid in the name of Jesus. Maybe you bought him a water bottle. You'll not lose your reward for that. It's just inefficient. So those that are concerned about the atoning sacrifice for the whole world work on their efficiency so we can do more with less. Play this video and let's look at how they're doing it. Imagine what it would look like if there was a vibrant church in every nation, city, community, and village around the world. When you help plant a church, you don't just meet momentary needs. You make an impact for generations. A local church transforms a community with the message of Jesus by becoming a lighthouse confronting the darkest areas of the world. An ark by rescuing people and securing their eternal future. A safe house for the forgotten, broken, and most vulnerable. A force of change, producing justice and equality in the most oppressive environments. And a sanctuary where prayer and worship is freely expressed. Using local pastors to reach their own nations without language or cultural barriers is the most cost-effective and successful mission strategy. For decades, Surge has equipped local pastors with the launch funding and training they need to plant self-replicating, spirit-filled churches in areas that need it most. When you partner with Surge, you partner with God in fulfilling the Great Commission to make disciples in all nations. Are you ready to join the movement? I feel like that we need someone who 
because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus for the whole world, would assign themselves to be nothing but work on our technology at Abundant Life. I'm serious. I, I'm, I'm serious. I just say, Pastor, I'll volunteer. I'm your technology. I'm just going to fix all these problems so that it works better the next time. See, this is all part of it. That unusual generosity causes us to give of ourselves, to give financially, so that we can see the gospel of the kingdom come to pass. Pastor Jared, if I could have you just come up and, and we'll, we'll deal with what we can on technology, but let's get the worship team going. And I, obviously we've been struggling with our video technology all morning long. We're sorry for that. Um, and um, uh, so um, Abundant Life Church has um, committed to give at a very minimum $12,000 a year to the Surge Mission Project. We've partnered with them for years now. We have gone. I've had the privilege of going to Indonesia, Nicaragua, Honduras, and Cuba. And I'm trying to think of anywhere else that I've gone. And I've actually met the apostles and some of their pastors that are doing the work. We've had some of them come here. We've had the apostle from China come here and speak. Um, and, so, and we've had the apostle from Indonesia come here and speak in this pulpit. So... My point is, is that we've give and gone, give and gone to, so that we can experience the fruit. And some of what they're experiencing overseas makes me envious, quite frankly. And it caused me to cry out and say, Lord, can we not experience that here in America? I mean, surely we can. We're the missions giving nations. Surely we can experience what they're experiencing. And you know what the Lord has done? He just said, yeah, you can. And he let us take the miracles we were seeing there and bring them on home. That's cool, isn't it? But we can see more. There's more yet to come. So we've committed to 12000 a year, which in the Surge Mission Project is four churches. We've uh, already raised the funds we need for that commitment in 2020, but we've set a goal that in the month of November, we will raise all $12,000 to be able to give and make that commitment for 2021. What the vision is, is that if we succeed in that goal, and I believe we can, that, um, I'm having some strange examples kind of in my mind on it, but uh, they, do you guys know that uh, uh, now that the election is over, Holly and I have, we have a little sunglasses business that we've used to pay for our missions and whatnot, and, and it's like as soon as the election was over, even though we don't have a president yet, Sunglasses started selling again. I mean, just like crazy. Boom, 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 boom. It's like, man, if I'd have known this, we'd have held the election in September. I don't know if people are loosening their wallets now or what the deal is. But what I'm trying to say is, is that because of the atoning sacrifice, where there's a will, there's a way. We find a way is my point. And so one way we can partner with these apostles and these pastors and these evangelists in other parts of the world is we give. So we've committed $12,000 in 2021, and we believe we can raise all 12 of that in November of this year. And that will give us a foundation so that then we can, anything we do in addition to that, we can do other stuff with. You guys understand that we always start with a foundation, then we build upon it. We believe the pandemic is going to end eventually, probably spring. That's my personal opinion. It's not a prophetic word. Just I believe it is probably in the spring and we're going to get to go again and so i believe in that 
But we always, last time we built an auditorium for a church when we, you know, it's so awesome. And, and we always plant extra churches. Last time the apostle, um, he was trying, you know, poor guy, just imagine 300 people per weekend coming and the only bathroom available is in the back of his house. That's a sacrifice right there. So we help partner to build bathrooms, public bathrooms for him. So what I'm trying to say is, is that what we like to do is get our foundation laid and then build on that. So our goal is in the month of November is to raise all $12,000 for 2021, then we can build on it from there.